Today's episode is with a former Shopify store owner doing 100 grand weeks and current founder and CEO of Social Snowball, a platform to help DSC brands build better word of mouth marketing. Please welcome Noah Tucker. Thanks for joining me, man. Thanks for having me. Yes. So I, what I just read, let's just start right away, is it is straight from your Twitter bio, was word of mouth marketing. Yes. And that seems <laughs> probably very intentional. Uh, on the website, it says affiliate, but in your bio, right. it doesn't say referral, not affiliate. Why did you choose word of mouth? And like, what does that mean to you? That's a, I feel like it's a good question because I feel like there's so many words people throw around and you, you never really know what people are talking about. They all kind of mean the same thing. So there's like what word of mouth, affiliate, referral, ambassador, advocate. There's, there's like a lot of words people toss around. So in my head, at least, and I think a lot of people would agree, like word of mouth is a good umbrella term that kind of encompasses of influencer, ambassador, affiliate, referral. Um, obviously, you know, affiliate can mean something else. And like the more like kind of like legacy or traditional style affiliate is like more focused on like media buyers driving traffic and getting like a CPA commission. So that's, I mean, Social Snowball doesn't focus on that type of affiliate. We're more like the creator and, and consumer and community affiliate. So I use, I like to say like we're a word of mouth marketing platform. So it kind of encompasses like all of those other terms that would fall under that umbrella. But maybe that's maybe that's a, a bit of a hot take and other people would disagree that that term encompasses everything. No, nah, man. Uh, right. You know, that's what gets engagement on Twitter is hot take this and then state like True. a very, very mild statement or like that's generally agreeable. <laughs> like, Literally. Nah, like yours is just word of mouth marketing. I think that's a great way to answer it. It helps set the stage of the rest of the conversation. Yes. Yeah. So social snowball, it, you very simply post-purchase. This is the basic way to use it, and I haven't used it myself. My, my my understanding is, cool, customer signs up, buys something. Hey, if you like what you bought, share it with a friend. And then there's a custom discount code made for them. They don't have to sign up. They just like, it's there already, and it's all automated and kind of taken care of and handled. So with all that being said and stated, like, when a lot of people are like, oh, you should be doing ads, you should be doing email, you should be on TikTok, you should be on this and that. Like, when is the right time or what is the right time uh, to kind of insert affiliate or kind of set that up and take it seriously if you're a, if you're a founder of a brand? Yeah, I mean, good question. I think it depends on like what kind of affiliate you're partnering with. So like, you know, under the affiliate umbrella specifically, there's a lot of different types. And, and what Social Snowball specifically focuses on is what you were talking about, which is like activating customers into affiliates. Um, and then there's also, you know, like creator and influencer partnerships. So I think for like specifically what you're talking about, like turning customers into affiliates, really you just need to start having customers and you start having loyal customers that are already passionate about the brand that are already your advocates, you know, without the proper incentives in place. Um, then when you're able to kind of like automatically create those incentives for them, create like a mechanism for them to share and for you to have attribution for those referrals that are coming in it's just going to pour fuel on the fire and it's going to grow a channel that was already there that you just weren't really tracking um as far as like other types of affiliate partnerships like maybe partnering with creators i mean that could be that could be your go-to-market strategy that could be the first thing you do when you launch is partner with creators and, and put them on an affiliate program to, to track their sales and pay them on a performance basis so i think it kind of depends on the type of affiliate you're partnering with but for specifically that like turning customers into affiliates post-purchase and trying to get that activation, you just need to have some sort of traffic and, and customers coming in already so that you could 
kind of activate them after they they purchase and, and join your brand. Sweet. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And I, I love how you perfectly segued me into another question about uh, influencers and creators and that might be a good go to market strategy or you have a new product launch coming up and it's like this kind of different skew in your skew set and it kind of aligns with this one influencer you've been talking to. Uh, it could work out great. So can you have multiple tiers of affiliates within Social Snowball of like standard affiliate for like customer and then like super influencer or like this next tier up are you allowed to have multiple of those absolutely yeah so i mean we, we call them like programs but it's essentially what you ah. described like as tiers um and it's basically like different cohorts of affiliates you could segment them manually you could segment them based on rules of like how many customers they referred or if, you know these are customers themselves you could segment them based on rules of like how much have they spent on your store um and kind of get creative with that uh, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, brands should definitely, like most brands, especially brands at any scale should be turning customers into affiliates or getting some sort of referral activation out of their existing customer base. Cause it's basically just like free customer acquisition um, and partnering with creators is, you know, something most brands are doing regardless. So if you could maybe pay them less upfront or pay them nothing upfront and per and partner with them on a performance basis with, with an affiliate program, there's, there's no downside or risk for the brand and the affiliate is going to be more motivated to create better content to post more consistently. Um, so it's, it's usually a win-win partnership. Yeah, I think that's a great way to test the water of like, oh yeah, let's try this partnership. You're going to make money if it your audience is aligned with our product and brand. Yeah, And then like, exactly. cool, let's do this for a month. Let's do this for two months. And then that's the first engagement. And then you're like, oh, cool, this really worked. Let's cut them in as you know, part of the bigger picture, uh, maybe equity or like more specific, like super, like a different program up just for them, whatever it is. Yeah. But I think that's a great way to like test the waters on that. Um, that's really cool that you mentioned that. So uh, you've, you've mentioned, and I've listened to some of your past episodes about um, affiliate, these affiliate programs and referral programs work best when you have an enthusiastic customer base. So What's one of your favorite either case studies or examples of a brand that's been working with Social Snowball that at first you're like, hmm, is this, is, is someone actually going to refer a friend to buy this sort of product? Like there's some that are, yeah. there's some that make so much sense and are natural fits and that yeah. sort of like, oh yeah, of course they have a refer a friend program. But what's one of your ones that are like, oh wow, I didn't really think that would work and it ended up working really well. That's a good question. I actually, this brand like was what like a really like two years ago when we like first launched, they par they partnered with us. Um, and I actually am struggling to remember the name, but I just remember this is like what I really remember is that it was a uh, online chemical supply store that was selling like random chemicals for like I honestly didn't understand what like I don't think it was something as like mainstream as like maintaining your pool. Like it was some weird chemical website for God knows what. Um, and they were driving like really consistent and significant uh, referrals. And I was like, wow, like this is the one brand that I would like put money on. Nobody would want to refer. Um, and they, and they weren't like using it for creators or like niche influencers. They were activating their customers into affiliates post-purchase and it was doing really well for them. So that kind of was, that was like an eye opening. I wish I remember what it was called, but that's like kind That's of the nice most um, like radical one. Like there's definitely been other ones where I was like, eh, this could be hit or me. I don't really know what the target audience. 
um, or like demographic of their customers is, and then it still does well. Um, that's probably happened a handful of times. But yeah, there's uh, there's this one chemical supply store that I was like, wow, I really don't even understand like the value that my own product can bring to this kind of thing. And, and here I am seeing it happen. Yes, I'm so glad. I'm, that's better than any answer I could have expected when I, <laughs> when I thought of that question is yeah. some chemical supplier and it's not so through influencers or creators and it wasn't like for pool cleaning stuff that's like oh no so no it's like it, i didn't understand like i still don't understand what what like what they were selling <laughs> genuinely oh man no oh, that's good uh thanks for sharing that one so um okay now um we beginning of 2023 you're recording this middle of january this will be out in a few weeks um We've we had iOS fourteen point five. We've we talked about that enough uh, for most people. P- pixel and tracking and all this stuff. Like we get it. Like it's it's not that it's, it's more difficult. It's harder. It's old old news talk now. About yeah, but all that being said, uh, knowing what you know of running your own stores in the past, you've been working on Social Snowball like exclusively the last few years. Uh, if you were gonna go back to starting a brand. Or if you wanted to recommend to start have someone start a brand, what are like those things, those differentiators? These like, what factors would you think about before you launched a brand in twenty twenty three? That's a that's a that's a broad question. I don't, like marketing wise, I think I would just like I feel like you have to kind of go into launching a brand like ready to tackle a lot of customer acquisition channels. Um, you know, like I'll, I'll transparently admit, like when I was operating e-commerce brands, like it really was like launch Facebook ad, make money. Like it was that easy. So I, and I, I got to experience the tail end of that. And I kind of like stopped, like I, I was already like building and launching social snowball by the, by the time that like that really all came down and crashed. But nowadays, I mean, obviously I, I am still very much in the space and I, even though I'm not running around myself, like I talked to brands many times a day and i know that like you can't be and this is again most people know this but you can't be dependent on just facebook or google for customer acquisition so if i were to launch a brand i would like off the bat be ready to throw a lot of darts and hope that like one or two stick um i i I wouldn't neglect facebook or google but i would throw darts at all different types of creator partnerships i would throw darts at seo i would throw darts at um really like really anything that's not like because when you're relying on Facebook and Google too like obviously like there's an algorithm change or like something weird happens one week and then your customer acquisition spikes like you need ways to kind of like like mitigate the risk or like kind of like diversify your customer acquisition so that if like Facebook's algorithm has like a bad week and everyone's complaining on Twitter like you still have like six other customer acquisition channels that maybe aren't driving as much customer acquisition as Facebook, but even if it's like 10%, 20%, like that's pretty significant. And if that that's that's keeping your your you know your blended customer acquisition costs somewhat stable through the turbulence of outside factors. So like as many really owned customer acquisition channels that aren't platform dependent as possible, I think are important. So obviously, you know, I'm biased towards any sort of partnership marketing because that is like an own channel and any affiliate you partner with, whether that's a customer of yours, a creator or whatever that's like an owned marketing channel and you you own that relationship you just use a platform to manage the relationship but you're not dependent on that platform for the partnership whereas with like 
Facebook or Google ads, you have to use Facebook or Google or you are not reaching their users, which they could charge you whatever they feel like that week to reach. So I kind of, yeah, I mean, I guess my biggest piece of advice to myself, if I were to be doing this again, is like to really go off the gate strong with like infrastructure and a plan in place for many customer acquisition channels, because you can't just rely on, on the ones that I was fortunate enough to be able to rely on back when I was operating. Yeah. No, that's cool. Uh, so multiple channels and it's not, you're not saying they all need to perform the, the same. They know all need to be equally 25%, 25%, 25% of yeah, like all oh, your new customers coming in. It's just like having that diversification and making sure that you're, you have, you have some sort of stability um, on those Woo! On those uh, off weeks, those tough times with Facebook and Google, they just like, yeah, hey! you know, like this this thing you were having results with for the last six months. Nope, totally different for the next fourteen days. You're just like, oh, uh, my whole business is gonna crash and die. So exactly, it's just, exactly. It's wild. So that makes a ton of sense. Um, is that something you'd ever? consider going back to of like running your own brand after you have more, <laughs> more experience and like insights and you've learned across like you've talked to all these other founders you've run social snowball now like is that something you'd even want to do or you've been thinking about doing i've i've definitely fantasized over it like i think like i know so much more now like i'd be able to do it well but i honestly don't think i want to at least not like the solo opera and I wouldn't want it to be my main thing like maybe like for fun like my girlfriend and I would launch like a fun side project and like I, I don't think I would want it to be my main thing because I I think it's it's stressful there's a lot of moving parts not that SaaS like what I'm doing now doesn't have a lot of moving parts I just enjoy I think I just enjoy the moving parts that I have to deal with better um, like logistics is really complex and difficult and I just don't want to have to like think about that ever again like I had to think about that for five years and I'm like mentally exhausted and it's been like three four years since I had to think about it um and then again like so many external factors that really matter like obviously like you know I'm working hard and a lot of people are working hard to diverse to build platforms to diversify customer acquisition but at reality is you still have to depend somewhat on Facebook and Google and I don't like going to bed and waking up knowing that like something completely outside of my control can make or break my business especially like you know if you're paying salaries and you're bootstrapped and you really like your cash flow is really important for the success of not only your business but other people's like livelihoods like that's really really stressful um so i, I don't think i think you know I, and, and the thing is like i get really tempted and i do fantasize over it and i think maybe as like a fun project i would want to or maybe just be involved like as like an advisor or something in, 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 in a brand, but I don't think I'd want to like, you know, maybe in the 10 years from now, I'm not running social snowball. I don't think I'm going to be like, okay, now I'm going to launch an e-commerce brand. I feel like that is in the past for me. Yeah, no, that's, um, that's interesting. And I think that's, you made a few good points of, uh, you're used to, maybe not used to, but you're more accustomed to SaaS now. We're like, all right, I got my customers. They're signed up. It's month to month still. But it's a subscription revenue, and they're not all gonna churn. Like, and yeah, you know, you don't have to Hopefully. keep acquiring them over and over. You, you know, exactly. With, with like with uh, e-commerce, with physical products, it's like cool. You bought the thing once. Not every brand is a subscription brand, uh, and I believe yours weren't either in the past. So, right. like, it's just like one-off purchase. Cool. I got them to buy once, but 
you still have to email them or text them or like sometimes even run ads to past customers to get them to like, hey, we still exist. Yeah. Um, so it's just not as secure and stable as cool. Definitely. They, and, I, and I got the like, credit. Yeah. The, no, I was just yeah. going to say like also selling B2B is like, I think a lot more enjoyable than selling B2C. Um, like it's just a lot more manageable. Working with business owners is, is a very usually smooth experience. Like dealing with customers and like customer support when you're selling D2C is not enjoyable in my opinion like i just don't like having to deal with that or think about that and you know cus like when customers are businesses it's a lot smoother it's from from my experience at least so that's like another another factor yeah no that, that makes sense that's cool um okay so moving over to the SaaS side of things we've been talking about e-commerce you've been on working on social snowball for the last few years exclusively what's one example what's one thing that has come up that totally blindsided you, that su surprised oh. and shocked you to no end, that you're like, this is a problem, this is a hurdle you have to deal with, and you couldn't, you couldn't have planned ahead or researched or known about it ahead of time. Like, what, what's one example of that? I feel like the, there's more examples of that than things than I did, that I did know, but the problem was, like, I could have planned ahead and researched, I just didn't. So, like, honestly, like, the getting social snowball off the ground like was a very painful process um but beyond that like i didn't understand the fundamentals of SaaS or how running a SaaS business works genuinely so like what i thought i would do you know this is my e-commerce brain with really zero SaaS understanding coming in, coming into this is i was like i'll pay an agency to build what i tell them i'll keep like one developer on like part-time as a contractor to like fix fix bugs if they come up maybe build a new feature occasionally and then i'm just going to spend as much money as i possibly can on facebook ads to acquire users and become rich and live happily ever after that was genuinely genuinely and i can't even believe i'm saying this because to me i'm like it's like a joke when i say this out loud but i really felt this way like only like three four years ago like i genuinely believe this was reality um so like the amount of learning curves i had to go over to get to where where we are today and you know i I'm not technical, but I do have a really good understanding of like DevOps now. And I didn't have the slightest clue of anything DevOps, you know, back three, three, four years ago. Um, and like, you know, just product and just everything SaaS, like even just like metrics and everything, everything. Like I knew nothing. I was fully that guy who thought he was going to build a SaaS who really shouldn't be, who probably should have just not even tried but obviously you know we pushed through and it's all good now um but yeah i mean like the thing is like i could have avoided a lot of these mistakes if i had like done research and like i now immerse myself in the SaaS and startup world and i have like uh education sources and sources where i'm like consuming content regularly to like stay up to date but i didn't know about any of these back then and i probably should have done a little bit more research to be fair um, so yeah, I mean, everything was a huge learning curve. Like, I mean, to this day, obviously I'm still going over some learning curves and I don't even know all the ones that I'm going through right now, but in the beginning, I mean, I really had to catch up to speed fast or social snowball was going to fail. So I just like, once I realized like the things that I didn't know, cause when you don't know what you don't know, you don't know to go out and learn it. So like, I didn't know what I didn't know. At some point I started realizing, oh, I don't know anything. I need to go out and like immerse myself in that world. And then I like went out and started catching myself up to speed um, with everything. And, and it was a lot of trial and error, of course. Um, 
you know, I legitimately probably hired, and I'm not even exaggerating this number, like in the 15 to 20 developers before I had a developer I could stick with. Um, and that was a very expensive, time consuming process. But, you know, through it, we were still growing and we were still, you know, making money and we were learning. And like now we're, I consider, I definitely consider myself on the other side of that, like that hurdle at least. And I, you know, I just want to make sure like other, I just feel like I owe it to other non-technical SaaS founders to like, just tell them to not do the stupid stuff I did. Like, I just want to like genuinely be like, just don't do anything I did. Like literally avoid everything I did and you'll be successful. Cause I really did it the hard way and I didn't need to. Man. So, um, some of that includes like, like you mentioned, and this is from another episode where you talked more about it was you hired this agency to like build the thing yeah it was like three months and then it took 15 months yeah and yep. then you're like still wasn't ready and you're like okay screw this like you cut this off and yeah. then you have to go find you know 15 through 20 developers uh to kind of find the right fit and right person so and you ended up with a technical co-founder and you didn't even know that was a thing until you found them <laughs> so like what would you like what's the sort of additional takeaways or insights or lessons like from that process of you wanting to people to not make that same mistake. Well, yeah, topic. I mean, I, I actually didn't end up with the technical co-founder, but I thought I did at one point and I'm assuming in whatever okay. podcast you listen to, because that was also part of the failure journey was me thinking I had a CTO. Like that was like, a, that was like, there's more to that. Like I, I had a CTO or like, you know, and, and things went really south with that. But I mean, I would say like finding a technical co-founder is what I would recommend. It's way easier said than done because it can't just be anyone who knows how to code who's like down to grind. It has to be someone who's like good and is going to build infrastructure that can scale because like, you know, I was lucky, like social, even the original devs that maybe did a really bad job at a lot of things, they did build good infrastructure to scale. And like now we're at a point where we like, need to like restructure our database and stuff but this is like tens and tens of millions of affiliates later like this is like like we it was a pretty good infrastructure at first but had it not been you know a hundred store installs and we would have not had a functioning product and those are things that you can't like you can't understand that as a non-technical founder you could you know you could hire a developer he can make he or she can make something that looks really pretty and then you go in and you're testing it and you're like oh this looks good um and then like you like, oh, wow, I really found a good developer, but then it breaks and like, it's really difficult to like restructure the database and migrate everything over. So like, there's a lot of things that you just don't know you don't know. Um, and, and building products is really, really, really complex. And there's a million things that go into it that you never think of as a non-technical person. Like you just, when you're using an interface, you're not thinking about the unfathomable amounts of complexity that's happening behind the scenes and to this day i still i'm like there's like a bug or something i'm like telling the devs to fix this and they're like telling me all these reasons why it's gonna be way harder than i think and i'm like oh my god like it's literally like a button like just fix it but it's not that simple it genuinely isn't so i would say yeah i mean it matters a lot i guess is the point that i'm, I'm drilling in like it really does matter finding good devs um finding a technical co-founder i don't think there's any magical way to do it like you have to know someone that you really trust and if you don't like finding someone online could be risky um the only like, and, and like hiring an Upwork and Fiverr, like I've had really bad luck with that. The only uh, freelance like uh, marketplace that I've had success with hiring a freelancer 
is uh, called lemon.io. So that's like, if people hit me up, which happens pretty frequently, like someone who's non-technical wants to start a SaaS and they're like, hey, like, could you recommend me a dev? And I'm like, no, because if I had a dev that I liked, I would have hired them already and they'd be already on my team. But lemon.io, I have had a good experience experience and I mean we don't work with any contractors anymore at this point yeah we're only hiring full-time team members now but I think it would be like if I were to start again and I couldn't find a technical co-founder which hopefully I would be able to at this point but you never really know um I would probably start with like either lemon.io or another uh tech or a dev like marketplace that vets them intensively before you could even consider hiring them because I can't vet a dev and now I have devs who could vet new devs but you need one good one to start yeah. that chain, you know? Yeah, dude. No, that's really good. It really, thanks for sharing and opening up about it and like, you know, being okay with like, yeah, bad, make, made mistakes, had failures. Uh, sometimes people just avoid all of that in these kind of conversations. So I appreciate you just sh- sharing that. And the thing with like technical, like, my, and again, I'm a non-technical person. My older brother okay. is software engineer. I used to help okay, okay. project manage website builds and nice. all this stuff. So like I have a baseline understanding. Um, most technical people, if they're that good, aren't just going to be like, yep, I'm going to partner with this person and build this thing when yeah. they probably already have a really solid gig and environment and like thing all lined up and squared away. They're just like, ah, yeah, yeah let me just take their, t-. they're like so logical and rational that yeah, yeah. usually that they're just like, I'm not going to take a chance on this. This is unproven. I'm going to be working yeah. for nothing for a while. So I think those are all factors in it. Um, of making Agreed. it harder uh, to be able to find that. So, uh, but yeah, thanks for sharing a bit more about that. Um, so speaking of SAS and things changing and learning curves, uh, I've known about social snowball, I'd say for at least like six to eight months. And so I've noticed um, that the pricing and the tiers and like the the structure, the fees have changed off and on uh, for a while. And so I think one was more recent, but you know, better than me, what were some of the things that led to these like changes in pricing, which are, you know, sometimes a very key thing from like this platform versus this platform. So like what led to that for you guys? So those changes and iterations in pricing are really just like a small glimpse into a bigger picture of like what the business is focusing on. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's an iterative process because it's a lot of trial and error um, and it takes a lot of time to collect data, but basically like to make a long story short, like when we launched social snowball, I was like, okay, we're going to be the affiliate platform for every store. I want pricing that could, you know, be, fair for brands that are installing Shopify for the first time today. And I also want to be able to support Fashion Nova. Like that was my idea. I was like, we're going to just take over everyone. Um, and although some businesses can do that, I think bootstrapping that is is particularly hard where bootstraps are like, I didn't really understand. And like, you know, we need to make money like to grow and to be able to hire people and, and build new features. Like we have to make money because we're bootstrapped. So like, you know, if we can't get new MRR, then we can't hire people to to do things. So it's like, we, we kind of started learning this. So like we were focused a lot on the smaller users. They were easy to acquire. I'd run Facebook ads and I'd get them for stupid cheap, crazy cheap installs, but they were all really, really low quality stores. Most of them were drop shipping. Most of them were going to close down in the next month. Yeah. Um, none of them were paying us because we had like a free plan at one point. We've actually iterated pricing, you know, in both directions. So we started like starting at like $12 a month, I think was our first ever iteration. 
um, up to like $75 a month with like different percentages of affiliate revenue we were taking, taking as a commission. Then we like iterated down market and we're like, we need freemium. We're going to do a free plan. We're going to like really like just try to pick up the market. And it was just super not working for us. Our revenue was dropping um, at best months plateauing. And what we started to realize is like, and this is like, I feel like a lot of SaaS founders go through this, but like the smaller customers pay you less, take up the most support resources, complain the most, like they're no patience. They're like unreasonable to deal with. It's just like, it's almost like dealing with consumers. Like when you're really down market and in B2B, it's almost like dealing with like a, a B2C, like uh, customer support, like it's, it's similar. So then what we also realized is like the, the bigger customers that we did have, even though it wasn't our main focus, like they were paying us a lot. They were really happy. They were getting a ton of value out of the product. At the time, our main functionality, which is still big functionality now, but it's really all we offered at the time was like, we'll turn your customers into affiliates automatically. So it made sense that brands with a lot of customers would get more value out of the product. So that, you know, we saw that we were making more money from them. They were taking up less resources and we're like, okay, like, this is something let's, let's shift pricing a little bit in that direction. We don't want to have a free plan anymore. People are just using the app and we're not making money from them and we need to grow revenue again. Like we, we, we went through a big plateau period, you know, when we were figuring this out. So when we realized that, you know, there's more than just switching pricing that had to be done. Like we had to really rethink the business. Um, and so like, you know, we had to sh shift pricing, but it had to make sense. Like if you're, if a brand is paying, you know, a few hundred dollars a month, like they're also going to expect expect a certain level of functionality and features on the platform. They're going to expect a certain level of customer success and and you know onboarding and, and white glove support. They're going to expect certain things. Um, they're going to you know especially these upmarket brands. They care more about like fraud protection and compliance. So we had to do a lot of things. Once we had this realization, it wasn't like oh okay cool now we figured it out now like next month we're good. It was still like another six months legitimately after we had this realization of me and the team like slowly iterating things. And and pricing was actually the last thing we did. So we, we didn't want to switch the pricing until it really made sense and was fair and reflected everything else in the business. So we first, you know, built a ton of new features, which we're obviously still doing, but there was a lot of like really important functionality that big brands were just like not going to use us if we didn't have. We had some really cool automations and some things that made us different, but there was some simple functionality we needed to add. So we spent six months just cranking out features. Um, we shifted our customer success processes to kind of like match a more upmarket, you know, demographic. So like we hired, you know, more like CSMs and they're like hands-on with customer support. They do onboarding calls. We, um, we try to get on calls with every single customer at least twice during their 30-day trial. Oh yeah, we increased the trial period to give bigger brands with more you know, processes and, and teams, like more time to get things set up. Um, and yeah, and then, you know, at, at a certain point we were like, okay, like we're pretty much there, like it's time. And we changed pricing um, to start at $99 a month. And, you know, it, this is the first iteration of pricing. I think we might've iterated pricing either three or four times. This is the first iteration of pricing where we're really close. This We either nailed it, like this is the pricing that works or we're like super close because we are growing revenue consistently month over month every month like pretty significantly and it's it, it only started like after we changed the pricing to this because i think we're aligned with our icp on functionality we're aligned with our icp on customer success we're now aligned with our icp on pricing and we don't have to deal with the smaller brands that we're just installing wasting our resources and not doing anything so our install rate has dropped dramatically like we if you look at our just our top five 
uh, active merchant chart, you think we failed. It's over. We we haven't acquired a customer in a year. <laughs> but if you look at our revenue, it's like an actual hockey stick, like up into the right. So that's yeah. that's what we're focused on now. Like if we're growing revenue, that means we're providing value and we're and you know things are going well and we're able to grow and hire new people. So. It, it was it was a long process to get here, but now like you know brands might look at our ninety nine dollars starting price tag and be like this is not for us, and we would say to them, you're right, this is not for you, and we don't want we're not pretending to be someone we're not anymore. You know we've nailed down our ICP and everything in the business kind of reflects that, you know finally. Yeah. Oh man, no, thank you. Uh, wow, that's so good. I'm glad I asked and got a much better answer than I was <laughs> expecting uh, because it, it really goes back into the positioning and the how, why you started, how you were starting. You're just we're the affiliate, we're the affiliate platform for every single brand on yeah. Shopify, like you said, from day one, day one to Fashion Nova. And you know, really? I think that's a very common, uh, very common thing with like brand founders, like, oh, who's my products for everyone? Like exactly. everyone could enjoy a t-shirt. Every, everyone could enjoy skincare. Everyone yeah. should like, like my cool shoes, but that's not, that's not how it works if, uh, for most things. Um, yeah. You're going into a heavily commoditized, like competitive place. If you're talking about water, you got to stand out somehow, you know, if there's like liquid deaths and that sort right. of stuff to stand out. But um, you found your positioning and you change your pricing. And I love how the word you mentioned was iterative. Uh, it's not like, oh, that's, we picked this thing. We made a decision. That's it. Uh, no, no that, yeah. that's just the next step. Like that's just like uh, before you keep going. So I think a, a lot of brand founders could learn from other industries like SaaS in some of these things of like iterations and like picking the market and I you keep mentioning ICP and ideal customer profile, ideal customer yeah. persona. Is that yeah, essentially uh, what it's yeah, yeah. what it stands for. So yeah, I think that's like a huge thing for people uh, listening. It's like you can't sell to everyone. Like you think everyone's your customer or your would be benefit from it, but um, it's just like not the case. Uh, so. Um, I love the last thing I'll mention on that, like the segment you just talked about was the install rate dropping a lot, but your revenue just still continuing to climb. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, oh, well, if we just look at one, like one metric of install rate and that was working for a long time uh, and that was success a successful thing for you and you shift gears and you iterate and then now, oh no, our install, like if you just look at installs, oh no, it's dropping, like something is messed up. But this new season of social snowball is taking you in a different direction where mm -hmm. that metric isn't the leading indicator of success anymore. So it's not even any indicator, honestly. If it, yeah. <laughs> like it looks <laughs> like we're failing. Like I'm not even exaggerating. Like it literally goes like this. And then it's literally just like, <laughs> like it's not, it looks like a failure. But if you look at our revenue, it like goes up yeah. in the beginning and then it like plateaus for a while. And then it just goes right back up again once we like kind of figured everything out. Oh, so cool. So good. Um, okay, so we're going to start. We're, we're landing the proverbial podcast plane now. I'll wrap up here with another question or two. Um, you, you mentioned that this is like either this is it, like either you nailed it or you're about to nail it on this like yeah. pricing and repositioning. Um, 
is there any new features, initiatives, 2023 stuff that you wanted to like tease out or mention? Uh, if someone's like interested in social snowball or just want to follow along for the journey, is there anything you want to, uh, you know, disclose or share or tease out? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're releasing a lot of functionality. Um, we've recently released, like we're definitely, you know, we're, we're, we're talking to these bigger brands. Some of them are our customers. Some of them are just leads and telling us what they're interested in. Um, we really take that feedback like insanely seriously. Like I, I tell brands, I don't think they believe me, but like if you write me suggestions, you'd be surprised how much of that will be copy and pasted to something a developer will read. Like I take your feedback and we build it. Like I really think that's the way. Obviously like not everything, but like if multiple brands are requesting something, it's like, okay, we're on something here. Um, you know, when we're working with these bigger brands, you know, we learned, cause like I'm working with brands now that are way bigger than anything I've built. So like when I was in, doing e-commerce and using these apps. And I was like, oh, I hate this about that. I hate this about that. Like we've solved all those problems long time ago. Like now I'm learning new problems that I yeah. didn't feel like new pain points. I didn't feel exactly myself because I never owned like a brand that does 30 million a year, like, and has like 20 employees. Like that's a new, you know, customer profile. So I'm, you know, we're communicating with them a ton. Um, so, I mean, like recently we, we, we released a feature um, that I'm really excited about that basically um, helps brands it, like it'll detect if any affiliates code leaks on a coupon site so that's like been a huge problem uh, since cool. we launched so like obviously there's like honey and like capital one shopping and these coupon sites that will just like and affiliates don't always do it intentionally like a code can literally get like uh picked up from from the browser extension and at checkout and then just leak to the network of like billions <laughs> of users or whatever um and obviously it just creates a mess of attribution and then you have to you know it's a whole back and forth with affiliates, which payouts are real, which ones aren't. So we built um, a tool that's basically just included with any plan that just like detects whenever a code leaks to a, one of these browser extensions, uh, notifies you in your dashboard, and then tells you which referrals are legitimate versus which referrals um, you know came from a, a leaked code. So instead of having to like fight with the affiliate over which ones are real, you could literally in your payouts interface in Social Snowball, where you send your payouts, you could filter codes with leaks and then it'll just show you all the codes that or no all the payouts excuse me that were from like directly attributed to a code leak and you can click reject these and then those will get canceled and then all the other payouts that might be to the same affiliates that were legitimate referrals from their friends or, or social media followers or whatever you can still compensate them for them which is obviously the ultimate goal um so i mean as far as like i mean that's something we've already released we're, we're adding a lot more to it um i guess as far as like Future functionality, I'm trying to think of like something that's super exciting. I mean, you know, we're releasing really soon the ability to gift products to influencers and um, affiliates automatically. So instead of, you know, right now, all commissions are sent through like cash or store credit. Um, we're going to have like different automations you could set up that'll automatically create orders in Shopify for affiliates. And they'll, there'll even be their own interface where they could go in and like choose which product they want. And it'll create an order in Shopify. They'll put in their address themselves. It's all like very automated and self-serve. Um, so that, you know, that's pretty exciting. Lots of new integrations. We just released our attentive integration literally, literally last week. We have a lot of other cool integrations coming. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, we have a packed roadmap. I think I'm trying to think of like the most like exciting, yeah. exciting features. Um, but I mean, it's really, you know, it's really, it comes directly from customer feedback, like things like, you know, 
affiliate links getting too long because we're adding so many parameters to them because brands have like crazy GA setups and whatever, and they needed it all to be integrated. And now we're like building like link shorteners for these incredibly long links because they don't even fit in the Instagram bio if you set it up a certain way. Um, so, you know, li little things like that, like you'd never imagine that'd be a problem. Like, but then it is because we're working with brands that have these crazy setups and we need to, you know, adapt accordingly. So we're just trying to ship these out as fast as possible. One, you know, I think our, one thing that's great about having like a bootstrapped and lean team is we're really able to release features quickly, like really, really quickly. We are, you know, we have two, two week sprints and we are releasing, you know, two plus pretty significant features every two weeks, which has been really, really great. You know, obviously the brands that are already on the platform love to see that. And then it really helps us close leads that are on the fence because if they are like, oh, we're interested, but we want this feature, we just like prioritize that and then ship it in two weeks and then they install. So that, that's that, that's been one of our secret weapons for sure. That's that's so cool. That's so good. Uh, no, I, the discount code leak huge um, as those programs keep getting bigger and bigger. Uh, link shorteners, the free product is interesting. You can do so many things with that, I think. Yeah. Um, is it is that like, oh, cool, if I refer five people instead of store credit or cash, I could just get a new free product instead? Or is that is that that's one of, of the use cases? Yeah, that's one that could be a use case. Yeah, you could basically you could also do it like, you know, if you're just managing influencers and you want them to create UGC or just create like content for them to post on their socials with your product like as soon as you add someone it could automatically create a gift for them and notify them give them like the interface where they could input their info and then ship them a product that they chose from the gotcha. ones that you pre-selected so like little things like that that like pretty, pretty basically any part of influencer or creator management that had to be done with like some sort of back and forth communication or a spreadsheet or like manually sending something like everything we're kind of just building tools to just completely automate that cool no, that's so good. Okay. No, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Appreciate that. Uh, last one, I asked this for almost everyone, if I remember it, is, is there anything I didn't ask that's been on the top of your mind lately? Is there something that you saw that you have a reaction to? Is there something that you want to either predict or just preach about that'd be important for a Bootstrap founder? as we uh, head off? Uh, well, there is one thing I saw that's been on my mind this entire podcast, and it's that you have an erg in, in the background. And I used to be a rower in high school. So I, I, I've, that's been catching my eye. Do, do you row? I, I row uh, not as often as I should. Uh, it is something that I do from time to time. I got, the, I got a bike, I got the erg, and a treadmill. So I kind oh, of nice. rotate between them. Oh, you're um, locked in. And was was more into rowing back in like we when i played basketball that was, mm. we did crossfit as one of our main like mm. off-season training things and rowing yes. was like a you know a big part of that that was um, absolutely different than us just sprinting doing up and down the court you know is a different kind of cardio so uh cool. yeah it's just something that's um you know kind of carried over <laughs> that, that, that's that's valid uh that's that's one way to it's been on top of your mind. I sorry to distract you. Uh, no, no, no. It's just giving me <laughs> giving time. me PTS, PTSD yeah. for my high school days. Uh, definitely not my intention, but uh, yes, <laughs> that's fun. That's a good way to good way to wrap things up, I suppose. So, um, <laughs> Noah, thanks so much for your time. Where do you want to Where do you want to point people to if you want they want to talk to you? They want to follow up, ask you questions. 
Where do you want to send Twitter, it? Twitter is definitely the best. That's that's definitely where I need some more self-control social media wise because I'm on there way too much. Um, so yeah, my, my Twitter is just Noah Tuck spelled N-O-A-T-U-C-K. Noah Tuck at Twitter, the founder and CEO of Social Snowball. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Everyone else listening, take it easy. Thanks for listening. Uh, leave a rating review if you haven't yet, and we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks so much, Matt.